Well, great. We are returning to our sermon series on the book of Daniel. We've been going through the book of Daniel for several months now. And if you are visiting with us for the first time, we are glad you're with us. It's a wonderful book of the Old Testament that we've been journeying through. And the first part of the book of Daniel dealt with historical accounts of God's people, biographies of God's people who remained faithful to the Lord as they were living in really hard times in a toxic culture. Now we are in the second part of the book of Daniel, and that is dealing with prophecies. There are four different apocalyptic visions that Daniel had about the future, and he needed the Lord to help explain to him what these visions meant. A few weeks ago, we looked at Daniel chapter 7, the first prophecy. We'll look at the second one today in Daniel 8. But in Daniel 7, we learned about scary monsters. Well, today, we're not going to be talking about scary monsters, but we're going to be talking about two domesticated animals, a ram and a goat. And so please turn with me now to Daniel chapter 8. I'll read the first 14 verses to get us started. Daniel 8, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, After that, which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the capital, or the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Uli Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last." I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven." Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression." And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Heaven and earth will pass away but God's word will never pass away. As we begin looking at Daniel 8, you'll see the context of when Daniel had this second vision, and it happened two years after he had the first vision in the days of King Belshazzar of Babylon. If you don't know who I'm talking about, King Belshazzar, I encourage you this afternoon to go back to Daniel chapter 5, and you'll learn about this wicked, 
ungodly king who only thought about himself. Daniel was living in the days of a wicked, ungodly king who only thought about himself, King Belshazzar. And I'm sure he was discouraged living in these days. But he has this second vision about not only the the times he was in, but the future that was going to happen. And in this second vision, Daniel was envisioning himself standing by the canal in the great capital of Persia. It was a city called Susa. So Daniel's not standing in Babylon. He's now standing in this vision in in Persia. And as he's standing there by the canal, he sees this massive ram come charging through. And he charged westward and northward and southward. And no beast could defeat this huge ram. And this ram had these two horns. One of the horns was longer than the other. But nobody in their right mind would try to mess with this huge ram. Well, over time in the vision, Daniel continues to not only see the ram destroy things, but after a while, out of nowhere comes this goat. And this goat comes, and a male goat came quickly from the west without touching the ground, it said, and and it had a unique horn between its eyes. He ran at the ram with powerful wrath, and the goat broke the ram's two horns and trampled All over him. The goat, it grew in power. But over time, the great horn that it had was broken, and there came up four conspicuous horns on the male goat. Out of one of the horns came a little horn, which grew great toward the south, east, and even toward the holy land of God. It even impacted, it said, the host of heaven, and it even impacted that of the prince of princes, God himself. This rampage of the male goat and this one horn that emerged from it, it went against God's people and it would happen for 2,300 mornings and evenings and then God's temple would be restored. Very, very interesting vision. It's not something you and I would have thought about, right? But yet God had a plan for this vision And he had a plan by revealing it to Daniel through Gabriel. Before we look at Gabriel's interpretation of this vision, I just want to say a few words about where we're going in Daniel chapter 7 through 12, the second part of the book. We're going to be talking about the end times in many, many ways. Some of you will read through Daniel and books like Ezekiel and Revelation, and you might think, I have it all figured out. You might look at all the numbers and the symbolisms and you think, I know exactly what formula this is and and I know when Jesus will return. I encourage you, do not over-speculate when we go to passages like this. It is apocalyptic in literature. It does talk about end times, but I just really caution you not to over-speculate and think you have it all figured out. Because here's the thing, none of us really have it all figured out. God does. Daniel himself, he was the great interpreter of dreams. We know that as we read through Daniel. But yet, even this vision, he didn't know what it meant. He had to have God reveal it to him through an angel Gabriel. And yes, this is the same angel 700 years later who would appear to Mary and say, you are going to be the mother of the Christ child. The same angel Gabriel appears on the scene here 700 years before 
to Daniel. And so again, as we look through this, I'm going to tell you what we see in the text. I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from and where I believe it's going. But I just encourage you, try not to be your own prophet. Don't over-speculate and think, I've got it all figured out. Because there have been people throughout the ages who have done that. A guy like Hal Lindsey, for example, who wrote The Late Great Planet Earth, what did he say? He said, I know when Jesus is going to return, and he's going to return this year. And when that year happened, Jesus didn't return. He said, oh, I got it wrong. It's actually next year. And the next year happened. He didn't get it right. There have been many people like Hal Lindsey who have read passages like this and said, this is what it means. I have a new revelation from God. But not not even Daniel knew what it meant. So let's see what we know it to mean from what the word tells us. And let's continue on reading what Gabriel revealed to Daniel. Verse 15, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king." As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of boldface, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints." By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Okay, so the end explains how Daniel was overwhelmed by emotion. He was even laying sick in his bed for several days. He was sick to his stomach because of what he not only dreamed, but what he heard from Gabriel about what this was going to to mean for him and for the future of God's people. He was overwhelmed with anxiety. He was overcome by emotion. Why was that? Well, let's look at what all these things mean. First, what did, the, what did the ram represent? Well, a few weeks ago, you may have heard me talk about in Daniel 7, that anytime you think about a team or a school, you think about a school mascot. You know, Beard and Bulldogs, Farragut Admirals, Tennessee Vols, we have, uh, the Smokey, we have Smokey, right? David, David Crockett, that's kind of random, but David Crockett. You know, we, we've got, uh, you think Alabama, Crimson Tide, you, you've got the elephant, you think the gator of Florida's, you think Ugga, the bulldog of Georgia. Nations have animals that represent them. 
And when I think about the Ram, I think about the Los Angeles Rams football team. And you think about a Ram and how powerful they are and how they're known for colliding with each other head on. They just go in full force and hit each other hard. So no wonder Los Angeles wanted to name their football team after the Rams. Ancient history even tells us that Persia, the great empire of the day, they were depicted as a ram. And that is exactly what the ram represented. It represented that of media and Persia. We know that because Gabriel told us that's what it represented. And we know, right, short, several years after Daniel had this second vision under Belshazzar, we know that the Persian Empire would come and they would not only defeat Babylon, but they would spread to Syria and Asia Minor in the west. They would go to Armenia and the area of the Caspian Sea to the north. They would even go into Africa, into parts of the south. So Daniel was living in the days of Babylon under Babylonian rule, but he knew from this vision and from other visions he had and heard about that one day another kingdom would come in and that would be the Persian empire and they would come in and defeat the Babylonian empire of his day. The longer horn of the ram represented that of Persia, which was greater in power and influence than that of Media. Media was the shorter horn. And that makes us think about Daniel 7 and how the bear was standing on its side. The bear was standing on its side representing Persia because, because, because Persia was more powerful than that of the Medes and Media. So again, the ram represented that of a kingdom, Media and Persia. But then the story goes on. The vision goes on. Now, Daniel, he's probably in his 80s at this point, mid-80s. We know that because he was around 80 years old when he was in the lion's den. Think about that. 80 years old being thrown into the lion's den. A lot of people don't think about that. 80 years old. A few years later, he's now probably mid-80s. And he's thinking, okay, I'm at the end of my life. And I'm hoping that this whole 70 years of exile will happen where I'm no longer living in captivity but I can go back to my homeland in Jerusalem and worship the Lord freely. That's what he's anticipating at the end of his life. God reveals to him an even greater vision than that. God is telling Daniel, hey, yes, that will happen, but there's going to be so much more in the future that will happen to my people. That's why Daniel was so overwhelmed after this vision, after he had this vision. After Persia would come in and take over Babylon and the people would be able to worship the Lord freely again in Jerusalem, then would come another empire. And this empire represented that of the goat. Now, I'm not a a veterinarian by any means, but uh, this week I did a little homework. I did a little research studying the differences between a goat and a ram. And those of you who live on a farm or grew up on a farm, you understand these differences. But there's a few things that really jumped out to me about the difference between these two domesticated animals. The first is the size of the two animals. A ram would get anywhere up between five and six feet long. It would grow between 260 and 300 pounds. Rams are big creatures. A goat, on the other hand, would go anywhere. It would only go up to about three and a half feet long, and it would range between 120 and 220 pounds. So just looking at that data, you're probably like me and you're thinking, anytime a goat and a ram would meet head on, who's going to win? The ram. He's much stronger. They're known for their head collisions. I would, I would put my money on the ram. So how in the world would a goat defeat a ram? Well, obviously God 
was the one who did it. But we look here, there's, there's two other things that I studied this week about the goat and the ram that really made me scratch my head and think, okay, this could make sense. The first is the lifespan of the goat and the ram. Did you know that a ram on average lives between 6 and 15 years? Where a goat on average will live between 15 and 18 years. For those of you goat owners, have fun with that. But goats can live between 15 and 18 years. Why is that? Well, the number one reason is because of what they eat and what they don't eat. A ram is known to be a grazer and that they graze over everything that comes in their sight. And whatever comes in their sight, they'll graze over it and they'll eat at it, whether it's healthy or not. That's why they get so big. A goat, though, they're picky eaters. They're known to be browsers and they're only attracted to nutritious plants and don't eat whatever they want. That's why goats can live longer than rams. But here's the other major difference between the two animals, and that is their horns and the shapes of their horns. The ram, you know the ram, it has those curly horns in the back of their head. Makes them look kind of cool and rough and intimidating. Well, those horns don't help them one bit. If an animal attacks them because they're back and they're curled up, they're defenseless. The goat, on the other hand, has a horn that's spiky, slender, and pointy, and they use it to attack. So I want you to envision that in this dream here that Daniel had. The goat ends up defeating the ram because it had the pointy pointy horn where the ram was defenseless with his curled up horns. So as you can see here, verse 21 describes a male goat coming in with his pointy horn, attacking the ram and killing this powerful ram. But we know who this goat would be. Verse 21 refers to this goat and the horn as the great horn between his eyes. Notice the word, the great horn in verse 21. Who was the great leader? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great would come in like the goat and he would not even touch the ground. He would go so fast against his, his enemies and he would defeat them quick, quick, quickly and at a rapid pace. And nothing could more eloquently summarize the overwhelming defeat that when Alexander visited the Persian troops in a battle at the Granacus River in 334 B.C. Do you know what happened in 334 B.C.? You probably don't. I didn't either. But there was this battle between Alexander and the Persians. Alexander had 34,000 Greek soldiers with him, and he was going and plunging through the river to attack Darius. King Darius of Persia had 100,000 footmen and 10,000 horsemen, and guess what happened that day? Alexander's small group, small troops, they defeated roughly 20,000 Persians that day, and they only lost 100 men. That made a mark for Alexander. That was a defining moment, and perhaps that is what Daniel 8 was referring to when the goat came in and knocked down the ram. And then within three years, Alexander was able from battle after battle after battle to defeat Persia, media Persia, and become the next major empire. You know, what's fascinating is, is we know a lot about Alexander the Great in history. I mean, 33 years old and he had conquered the world. There was no other footprint left for him to win. But yet, he kind of died suddenly. People say he may have had malaria or typhoid. 
He might have even been poisoned with alcohol, but he suffered on his bed for 12 days. And then at the age of 33, he died. No person killed him other than maybe the alcohol poisoning, but ultimately he died at a young, young age. And right after he died, we know that there were four emperors in the the whole region of Greece. It It was separated into four empires. It wasn't a unifying world power anymore because Alexander had died. And those are the four horns that came out of the male goat. And out of those four horns, there was one horn that really stood out. And that horn represented a king that would make God's people suffer immensely. Do you know who that king is? It's not Satan, as some people say. He was led by Satan, but that king was Antaeus Epiphanes. Antaeus Epiphanes. Now, as a history, as a person who loves history, I would think that, that we would spend a lot of our time focusing on Alexander the Great here. Because people know Alexander the Great. Nobody knows who Antioch or Antiochus Epiphanes is. But yet God has a different mind when it comes to history. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. You know why Antiochus Epiphanes is emphasized in this chapter, even over Alexander the Great? It's because God loves his people. He loves his people. And when God writes history, when he goes back to history, when he thinks about future, when he thinks about future history, do you know what he's thinking about? He's thinking about his people because he loves his people. And he hates when his people suffer. And this part of the vision that Daniel had is going to be a time when God's people would suffer greatly. And it would be under this emperor, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was one of the greatest enemies of the Jewish people in all of history. His name was Epiphanes, which means God made manifest. And so as Daniel had this vision saying that this This horn would come up and take on the prince of the princes. He's talking about how Antiochus Epiphanes would call himself God and try to take on God. In fact, later on in his life, he changed his title to Theos Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the illustrious God. He wanted to be known as a God. But yet people behind the scenes, they called him Epimenes, which means the madman. They said this guy was mad. And how was Antiochus Epiphanes mad? How was he a madman? Well, I'll tell you how. He tried to unify his kingdom by forcing all his subjects to adopt Greek cultural and religious practices. You know what he banned? He banned circumcision. He brought an end to sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem. He deliberately defiled the temple of God by doing two things. You know what he did? He put up a pig on the altar just to blaspheme God. And then he put up a statue in honor of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. He desecrated God's temple and he laughed at it. And he said, we're going to worship Zeus. We're going to worship this pig. And we're going to cut away all the morning and evening sacrifices of, of God's people. They can no longer do their religious practices. He burned copies of scripture. He even brought 20,000 soldiers in to Jerusalem and slaughtered thousands of Jews, thousands of God's people. This was a horrific time in history for God's people. Now you can see why, after Daniel was told what this vision meant, why he was sick to his stomach. 
because he knew one day God's people would suffer greatly under a tyrant ruler. The question we all would ask is how long would this suffering last? How long would this persecution last? And that's where the 2300 number comes in. Gabriel described 2300 mornings and evenings. What does this mean? Well, there's two different ways to interpret the meaning of this. And you can take either one of them and be okay. I kind of go back and forth. The first is that 2300 means evening and morning. It means a literal day. So six and a half years roughly is the time period, which could be true because when Antiochus Epiphanes became emperor and when he actually went in and removed a high priest from the temple and put in his own high priest, that was around 171 BC. And then when God's temple was reconstructed and rebuilt, it was in 164, so roughly seven years. So that can match that. The other interpretation of 2300 is that there's 2300 mornings and evenings, meaning there was morning sacrifices and evening sacrifices. That's what that represented. So that translation would say that it lasted for three and a half years. The suffering lasted for three and a half years. And you could go back in history and see, okay, when, when, when Epiphanes, when he came in and when he put the the pig on the altar, when he put the statue of Zeus in the altar, that happened around 164 BC. And then once again, the, the temple was reconstructed in 161 BC, three-year period. No matter what view you hold of the 2300 number, I think we all could agree that it meant the time in which the people of God would endure intense suffering and persecution under Antiochus Epiphanes. We all could agree with that one. But what does the Bible say about how this ruthless emperor would die? Did you notice in the text it says that this horn would not die by human hands? Antiochus Epiphanes did not die in battle by another emperor who was trying to kill him. You know how he died? He died by felling off his horse. When he fell off the chariot, it says, scholars say that he had all these bones that were broken up in his body. He had all these sores in his body from that horrible fall. He was infected with these sores and he was infested with maggots. He smelled so bad that his troops didn't want to be around him anymore. Epiphanes died in isolation and in desperation. How did he die? Not by human hands. I'll tell you how he died. God sovereignly intervened. And Antiochus fell off his chariot, and he died shortly after that. I bring all this up because as I, as I think about this, I think about how evil has its course. There are times where we might think that evil reigns. But just when we think Satan may be winning, God sovereignly intervenes. In verse 26, Gabriel concluded the vision by telling Daniel, the vision of the evening and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. Gabriel said, many days from now, these things will start happening. But earlier in the vision in verse 17, he referred to this as the time of the end. This is where a lot of people read this passage and they say, this is talking about when Jesus returns because he's saying the time of the end will come. That's not what this means. The time of the end does not mean when Jesus returns. The time of the end means 
when the suffering is over under the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. It's what they called the abomination, abomination of desolation. And you hear that word in Revelation. So I bring all this up because God was preparing Daniel for the near and the distant future. And a great persecution would come their way. So you know me. I'm an application guy. I'm giving you a lot of meat today. What do we do with all this? There's three things I want you to think about from what we just talked about. The first thing is, there will be times in our lives when it appears that Satan is winning. There will be times when we think, wow, darkness is reigning and Satan is winning. And you know, there's three common themes that Satan does as he attacks his people. You know, the first thing he does is he attacks our daily worship and sacrifices. That's what Antiochus did. He removed the daily sacrifices at the altar. What does Satan do to us as we try to open up our Bibles in the morning and have daily devotions? He puts distractions in our mind. He, makes, he fills up our schedule where we just don't read the word. You know what he does when we're praying? Yeah, distractions. That's what Satan does. That's part of his schemes. He wants to remove us from God's word. He wants to take that daily time that we should have with him away. The second thing that Satan likes to do is he loves to put false teachers in the midst of God's people. That's what it means when he said that he, he throws truth to the ground. Satan throws truth to the ground by, by, getting, by getting rid of good teachers and putting in false teachers. So again, as we talk about the end times, be very careful who you read and what you read because there's a lot of false teaching out there. The third thing that Satan likes to do is he loves to destroy the temple of God. Think about the Herodian temple, the Zerubbabel temple. Even Jesus himself he tried to, to, to destroy. John 1.14, Jesus tabernacled himself. He, he was the temple of God's people. Satan tried to destroy Jesus himself. That's what Satan tries to do. And Satan tries to destroy the churches today. Think about all the worship wars that people get all worked up over. Well, we should have contemporary music or traditional. We should have a blend. Think about the color of the carpet that people get worked over. And by the way, I hope to change this color of the carpet very soon. You'll be hearing about that soon. Anyway, I bring all this up because that's what Satan tries to do. He tries to get into the churches and tries to have us argue with one another about insignificant things. That's what Satan tries to do. So there will be times in our lives when it appear that Satan is winning. And you and I might be thinking right now, it looks like in America in 2023, Satan's winning. Because how are some of these states allowing these things to take place? How are some of these leaders voting the way they're voting? Why is this happening to this country? Well, Satan likes to overreach. Evil will always overreach. But the second thing I want to remind you is that it will only reign for a time because God is on the throne and the enemies of God will end in despair and emptiness. Let me say that again. Although evil will always overreach, it will only reign for a time because God is on the throne and the enemies of God will end in despair and emptiness. The theme of the book of Daniel is Daniel chapter 2. If you've been with me for months, you keep hearing the same thing, don't you? And that is, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. 
He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. God is the one who tears down kings and lifts them up. He's the one who breaks down kingdoms and brings them up. God, he's sovereign. So even though we feel like we're in some dark times, God is still the light of the world. He is sovereign. And I want you to think about how evil emperors die. Many of, many of them die empty and loneliness and lonely. Uh, think about Alexander the Great, how he died. Malaria, typhoid, alcohol poisoning, 12 days of suffering. Think about how Epiphanes, Antiochus, died. He died by falling off a chariot. Think about how Pharaoh died, right? These evil emperors die in isolation. And this just reminds me that after the Nuremberg trials of 1946, there were 14 Nazis who were executed and their ashes were put in a crematorium. These 14 Nazi celebrities, six years before they were executed into ashes and put into ashes, they were known by all of Germany for being the greatest leaders because they massacred thousands of Jews. They were known as celebrities. Six years go by and they become ashes. The same evening that a container that held their ashes was driven through the rain into the Bavarian countryside, and after an hour's drive, the vehicle stopped, the ashes were poured into a muddy ditch. These were celebrities of the day who were evil, ruthless, killed people by the day, were honored and celebrated by fellow Germans. But then at the end of their life, they were reduced to ashes, thrown into a mud. That's what happens to evil emperors. That's what happens to non-believers who are wicked. And so instead of being discouraged about the day we're living, and there is times of discouragement, we need to be reminded of the bigger picture that evil, although it appears that it's raining, will only rain for a short while, and evil will eventually be cast into hell forever. The third and final thing I want to share is that no matter what hardship may come our way, we need to remain faithful and continue doing the Lord's business. You know what my favorite verse is in this chapter? It's the last verse. Verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. There's two things I love about Daniel's reaction here. The first is that he laid sick in his bed for days after what he heard. Why do I like that? Well, it's because Daniel knew that although it wouldn't impact him, he would die before all this or most of this would happen. He was really deeply concerned about the future generations. In the same way, you and I need to be deeply concerned about the future generations. We need to be waking up every day thinking, how can I make this environment that I'm in, this country that I'm living in, better for my kids and for my grandkids? How can I make it better? That was Daniel's reaction. He was sick to his stomach because he thought, oh no, things are going to get worse for my ancestors, my future generations. He was sick. The second thing that I loved about the passage, not only was Daniel concerned not for himself, but his future generations, but he also rose up after being sick to his stomach and he went about the king's business. He just got to work. 
He was living in some really hard times. Go back to Daniel 5. Learn about King Belshazzar. Not a good dude. A wicked guy. You know that song, It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Daniel was not feeling fine. He was not feeling fine. He was sick to his stomach, but yet he continued to plow through the hardship in life. He continued to press on. He woke up every day, remaining faithful, going about the king's business. It was said that Martin Luther was asked by one of his members, Martin Luther, what would, it, what would you do if you knew Jesus was going to come back right now? Do you know what Martin Luther said? He said, I'd go plant a garden because that's what I was going to do tomorrow. John Wesley was, was riding to his next preaching engagement. And as he was traveling, he was stopped by uh, one of his friends. And his friends asked him, uh, John Wesley, what would you do if you knew that Jesus would come back today? You know what Wesley did? He pulled out his pocketbook and he started looking at his calendar. And he, and he started listing off all the things he was doing that day, the next day, and that week. And he said, that's what I would do. What would you do if you knew Jesus was coming? I would encourage you, keep doing what you're doing. And be faithful to what God has for you today, tomorrow, and this week. Use each day as a moment to glorify Him and to help not only our community now and others, but to help the generations to come. Remain faithful, and no matter the obstacles that we face, keep pressing on in faithfulness.